I was um, tutoring online virtually when my mom texted me <laughs> in the middle of the session and she said, oh, uh, I think you might be asked to leave the country. Uh, make sure if your program doesn't have in-person classes in the fall, can you double check with them? And she sent me this article and I was trying to really hard to focus on the task at hand. Um, got a little bit distracted though. And I think after that, appointment ended I read the article and I went to the um ICE website and I just read more and more and it really grieved me hello world this is Kyle Pang and thank you for tuning in to the third space we're glad to have you here this podcast will uncover diverse narratives of this vast world we're a part of after all we're all storytellers with some stories told and some left untold. So here's the third space, a space where culture collides, a space to normalize unique narratives, and a space to ultimately empower one another to embrace our God-given purposes and identities. On the fourth episode of the third space, we speak with Gemma Tan, who is currently a grad student in Los Angeles as well. And as this episode was recorded back in July, we talk about Trump's executive order on barring international students, the connotation of foreignness in America, and finding peace and purpose amidst rootlessness. Enjoy! Well, everyone, welcome to the fourth episode of The Third Space. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I have my friend, Gemma Tan, who's actually in LA with me as well. Gemma, you are, what, two years younger than me? Um, and we have known each mm-hmm. other from Shanghai in the church community and also went to the same school. So mm-hmm. Gemma actually just graduated from UCLA. I'm not going to take all that intros away from her. I'll let her <laughs> kind of delve into her third culture kid story. Um, but before diving into it, we want to start off with a icebreaker question here and some context here that we'll dive in in a bit is that Gemma is passionate about education. And so in terms of education, the question is, if there is one subject that any student should take, what would it be? Um, I am training to be an English teacher. So I guess my default answer would be English, but not just the language itself, obviously whatever like country you're from, whatever is like the main language of instruction. I think studying literature is important and like language is important for critical thinking because I think that's what you need more than anything else to like survive in the society, just to be able to like look at things and like think about them critically. So that is my plug for why my future profession is still valid. Appreciate your um, expertise in this field. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to hold you to it, though. But um, yeah, I think I'll pass the mic over to you. Would love to just kind of get a a brief background of where were you born, where did you grow up, you know, where is your family currently at, or your family members actually, um, and also the last thing, your your passport co- uh, country. So we'll hand it over to you. All right, thanks, Kyle. Um, so yeah. I was born in Singapore, and 22 years ago, Singapore is the country on my passport and my birth certificate. It always has been. 
in 2003, a few months before I turned five, we moved to Shanghai, China, and I stayed there for 13 years from kindergarten all throughout high school. And then after high school, I uh, graduated, came to Los Angeles for college. In my freshman year of college, my parents moved back from Shanghai to Singapore. Um, so big shift um, for them to and I'm also the youngest of three children. My older brother lives in Vancouver, Canada. It's where he went to school and he works there now. Um, and my sister is currently in Taipei, uh, after, having just moved there after eight years in Boston on the East Coast. We're all over. That's quite a bit. That's a, a family all over the place for sure. And so I know you talked about that shift um, when your parents moved from Shanghai to Singapore. What do you mean by that? What was that shift? Um, obviously, you spent 13 years, which is a lot of your formative years in Shanghai. You know, you do identify as a Singaporean um, person. Um, but, you know, what was difficult about that shift? I think it's really uh, a unique situation because I think in China when you're in this community of other um, foreigners, other international school students, you're so, like, I always feel Singaporean there. I, um, in a sense, like, oh, I'm a Singaporean in China, and, like, people know me as Singaporean there. Um, but I think every time I went back to Singapore during, like, school holidays or for Chinese New Year, um, I think that was, those were the moments when I was in this, like, country that's on my passport and I would feel like I did not belong there at all either because I just didn't know the culture I didn't speak like how everyone else spoke I was so young when I left I have like no memories there and no friends the only people I hang out with is my grandma um <laughs> and I think for me in college this is spring of 2017 I think I was still just getting used to what being in America um, was like and hearing my parents um, kind of just up and decided to go back home was very jarring or it made me feel like this one place that I was so stable which was Shanghai or specifically like being a foreigner in Shanghai um, just wasn't there anymore like I couldn't go back to it I would have to like go back to my parents' home in Singapore, which is not a bad home at all, but it just does not feel like home to me. It's my parents' home. Yeah. Right. I think you really exemplify this thing that all TCKs go through, and that is straddling, you know, multiple cultures and having that as a different reference point in each right? Being in mm -hmm. China and being viewed as Singaporean, but going back to the passport country and not fully vibing with the culture or fully identifying with, you know, whatever that's going on in that society, right? To catch up with that um, or TV shows or any references, that's, that's always tough as well. So I'm, I'm with you there. And I think that, I think both of us relate because it was one year after you're in the U.S., right? After your freshman mm -hmm. year where your parents moved back. That's when my parents moved back to Singapore as well. Yeah. And that was definitely the disorienting because we're also trying to find ourselves in the midst of a, another country, 
And even though we, we know that Shanghai is not that ultimate home or our passport country or city, mm-hmm. it's also a shakeup because that's where, you know, we spend the past for you 13 years of your life and for me nine years. So it is significant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So perfect. Appreciate the story there. I think that's something that it's not only for, for me and you. Um, you can just plug and play a different country and people can relate. <laughs> so at UCLA, um, I know it's a it's time, a formative time as well to find your passions. Mm-hmm. And you also had an inkling of wanting to go to education back in high school as well. But could you take mm-hmm. us through, you know, what you study in, in, at UCLA and, you know, during that time of soul searching or taking different classes, kind of how you Mm -hmm. found your passion? Yeah, for sure. So I came into UCLA intending to be a double major in English and political science. And I graduated as a double major in English and political science. Congrats. That's big time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, I didn't have that kind of like existential major change that a lot of people go through. I, Because before, I think I knew what I was interested in. Like, I love words and learning about different cultures. And those just both seem like um, perfect fits. But I think I didn't really know what I wanted um, to do. And there were so many options that were open. I tutored quite a bit in high school. And I just figured that was something that I could keep doing in college, whether it was like volunteering or um, right now I like work as a tutor in, an, in the, our campus writing center. And so I think that just kind of flowed like naturally into what I was doing in college. And after a while, I was just like, oh, like I'm pretty good at this. So I might as well just continue and like look into doing this as a profession. So. All right, Gemma, appreciate you sharing there. Um, And, you know, these couple months have been crazy. Um, We have been in a global pandemic. We have dealt with a lot of racial inequities that have been long boiling. um, And, you know, it really imploded during this past couple months here uh, with George Floyd. going through an economic downturn, one that's affecting the world. And a big one for international students in the U.S. was this order on July 6th, and that being right after the 4th of July weekend, too. Having people have a three-day weekend um, to just get some rest um, and to just navigate another week of COVID-19 and its impact in the U.S. And having this order on July 6th on the Monday that left a lot of people delusion. And what was that? So the Trump administration issued an order for international students to be barred to stay in the US if their college or university um, chose to do online classes. And there's a lot of dynamics at play here because obviously that's something that's out of anyone's control considering how the U.S. now leads the world as the top country with most COVID cases, if I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. And that also varying state by state. That also increasing exponentially again to who knows when, right? So there's so many unknowns there. It's even talking about whether we're putting college students at risk because 
they have to be in in-person classes to even stay in this country, right? And clearly that was something that affected you greatly. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, before you transition to grad school for UCLA. So could you just take us through that week? I know it's a, it was a painful memory for sure. And thankfully we had a win, but I'd like to just hear from you, Gemma. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I remember a lot of the events almost in like slow motion my memory. I remember I was um, tutoring online virtually when my mom texted me (laughs) in the middle of the session and she said, oh, uh, I think you might be asked to leave the country. Make sure if your program doesn't have in-person classes in the fall, can you double check with them? And she sent me this article and I was trying to really hard to focus on the task at hand. Um, Got a little bit distracted though. And I think after that, appointment ended I read the article and I went to the um ICE website and I just read more and more and it really grieved me in that moment it was yeah so frustrating because it was not at all founded upon any sort of like reasoning for public health and it's it was clear that these like pretty vulnerable students are just being used as like pawns in order to get um, schools to reopen. And in a way, it just seemed like this perfect like evil scheme. <laughs> um, and there was like a lot of sadness with that. But at the same time, I think one feeling I did not feel was surprised. I think if you not just look at the last few months at how um, people have talked about this pandemic in America and who they've blamed for it. But I think honestly, the last four years and even beforehand, like this is just one step in like the greater vision of, I think a lot of kind of like the nationalist agenda that has been on the rise in this country and has has been endorsed by this particular administration as well and I think for me just knowing like okay like this has happened and I am not shocked that it it has happened and I just need to do what the next thing I can do is which in that moment on that Monday for some reason I my first instinct was, I just need to bake a loaf of banana bread right now. Um, I don't, I don't know what it was. I think I just felt overwhelmed and just so grieved. And I knew that this was something that, like, I'm good at. Like, I know how to bake a really good loaf of banana bread, and I am in total control. And I know how to like mix the ingredients, and it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be like delicious. And this is something that I can do right now. So I was like baking it while I was calling a friend and trying to process with her. But I think, yeah, just even throughout that week, all of the like turns in the journey, like first Harvard and MIT suing and then the UC suing. And then my program director like emailed me to say, oh, um, like, don't worry, like your um, our program, our teaching program is hybrid. So you can still stay and even if it wasn't hybrid we will still like find a way to like help you stay and just all of these sort of just like plot twists um and sudden changes 
the whole time I think I've dealt with it like more calmly than I expected I would because a lot of it was just like telling myself like okay like what's the next thing you can do right now what's the like most immediate thing you can do to make yourself feel comfortable and safe or to extend like kindness not just to yourself but maybe to like someone else as well um and yeah that was a crazy week yeah i appreciate you sharing there it it was something that really caught everyone by surprise like you said it's a series of plot twists that it wasn't just students it wasn't something that the government communicated to colleges and you know educational institutions but it was just something that came up on Monday and everyone just figuring out what exactly this does entail and just the plethora of questions that came after too. State by state, if education, mm-hmm. in-person, hybrid, online, what would count, what would not. And so mm-hmm. it's, it really is a, a roller coaster ride where it took, you know, the schools to sue the government for change to be done. And I, I know that during this time, you did reflect a lot on what foreignness meant in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we have studied, you know, being in in the Shanghai American School, going through an American education system, right? Foreignness was was definitely talked about in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's something that I I bet that uh, you studied in college too. So what are your thoughts about that? I think that's such an interesting point that you bring up because I think my whole life I've always felt foreign in a sense that it was very obvious like oh I'm a Singaporean in Shanghai like I go to this American international school I definitely like am um, operating and breathing like opposite whatever the predominant culture is not only like in my Western school, but also like out on like the streets when I'm surrounded by like mainland Chinese who like they look at me and they like if they can't already tell by the fact that I'm a little bit like darker than them that I'm not from China, they can definitely tell when I like start talking like really, really bad Mandarin. Um, and I think in Singapore, that feeling of foreignness, like I said before, it's like a little bit more complex. It's like, okay, like you're supposed to belong to this culture, but you don't feel like you belong and other people treat you as if you don't belong as well. And so I think I was just used to that growing up my whole life. And I knew that coming to America is going to be the same. Like I'm in this totally new country that I've never lived in before. Um, and I am definitely going to be like operating like against whatever the predominant cultural current was. And what I think I didn't anticipate was that being foreign was something that might have been like celebrated I think in our like expat circles or might have been like tolerated in Singapore but coming into America I never realized how it could be something that could be like targeted or seen as something that's like inherently like wrong or bad or the expectation being like oh you're not from here um to gain like you know favor or rank here in America like you have to like assimilate and like diminish your foreignness as much as possible um right and that was something that was just really difficult to um adapt to and something that I sometimes submitted to and sometimes had to like 
realize I, oh no, this is like wrong and I need to resist this. Yeah. Right. It's always a careful interplay between assimilation versus integration, right? To what mm-hmm. extent do you adopt the host culture um, in the host con- country that you're in? And to what extent do you retain, you know, your own cultural values? And, you know, having, you know, studied this cultural phenomenon in the U.S. as my major of intercultural communication, um, I know mm-hmm. America ranks really high on a country that expects uh, immigrants to fully assimilate. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's definitely a very good point there. Foreignness is something that a lot of their culture kids have felt. And obviously we, we do see the world as more interconnected than the average person having, you know, dabbled in cultures here and there. Mm-hmm. However, um, I think when it comes to even being fully invested in a host country like yourself, right. Engaging with the local culture and communities, the government can still have a stance that does not, you know, that is, that might not be fair. Um, at the time, especially in this administration more than others, unfortunately. And I think that it's, it's really a symbolic move, right, to happen right after the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. And so this really makes me think of, of a quote that we have all, you know, seen um, and read about in school. Um, that's a historical quote by Martin Niemöller. And... It's really this concept, like you talked about, Gemma, right? That foreignness was something that you dealt with when you're in the U.S. And, you know, we talked about ICE, um, who really is the department that dealt a lot with undocumented immigrants, um, mostly after the, the Trump administration, right? But understanding that, hmm, maybe as an international student, it's a little safer, right? Um, you know, you're here legally on a visa, but you're definitely next on that line. And so it really makes me think about this quote by Neumoller. Um, and it reads, first they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. And that's such a powerful quote um, as we think a lot about our own narratives, especially in a time of COVID coupled with so many, so many things going on at the same time. And, and in, in a way, all the human beings, you know, in this world, as we're cooped up in houses too, we're kind of cocooning, right? Physically or mentally too, kind of trying to have some self-preservation. However, you know, that on a grand scale leads to a society that only cares about the individual and America being in one of the most individualistic countries in the world, that that's something that was seen during COVID. Um, but I think you bring up a good point there in terms of foreignness, not to act when it directly affects you, but that you're cognizant of this process and this othering um, that unfortunately America, American culture has quite a bit of. And I think the second point there, Gemma, you made a great point and it's something that we have discussed Um, outside of this podcast and that is this dynamic of foreignness and how that can have different connotations a lot of tck's we can relate to whether being more of a business tck where our parents um, i think that's the same for you too 
um, had a, a Western company, right, expanding into Eastern or Chinese markets and us being a product of that, having the ability to move to another country for better or for worse. Um, and to kind of be seen as someone who would expand, someone who would save the company in a way to bring immense value. And that's how the term expat was coined, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, we have the word immigrant. Technically, our parents and our family were, were immigrants to an extent in, in China. I mean, we're in, we're in there to settle, but we're not from there. However, when we look at um, immigration uh, of a term, the connotation definitely is not as positive. We see mm -hmm. that being associated with the problem uh, of overpopulation, of not reserving you know, enough spots or jobs for the citizens. And we see that as a kind of a, a brush of or a clashing of cultures there as well. And so that's something that we, we definitely saw um, in the U.S. with, you know, um, this order of Trump and many, many other orders from the past few years. Um, and, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I think this is something that's interesting and, and it could actually, you know, root a lot from, you know, colonialism and, and, um, the thoughts behind that of manifest destiny or even exceptionalism mm -hmm. in terms of Western ideals. So, you know, you being the educational field um, and us being in international schools, which is also a very Western focus um, approach to education. I just wanted to get your thoughts there. There's definitely a lot to unpack, but I think just in my short four years here and kind of a lot of what I've observed along the way, a lot of these kinds of, you know, xenophobic, like anti-immigration um, sentiments are rooted a lot in fear. And that fear a lot of times comes from like scarcity, like, oh, like, if this person gets something, like I'm going to like lose out. This person gets, if this like foreigner gets a job or a seat at this, you know, elite university, then like my own children are going to lose out. And I think that fear is not like true at all because I think there's a quote out there somewhere that says like, oh, like your, I forget who says it, but it's like, oh, your, like, my liberation is like bound up in yours. And, I think growing up kind of, yeah, cross-culturally and being able to make those connections between like Singapore and China and especially also in like our school where like almost all of my friends were like from a different country than me, like realizing like, oh, like we are all different and we have to like work together, but like we succeed and go so much further together than we would like apart. Yes. And maybe it's also some of that like Asian like collectivism like, <laughs> right. um, informing that mindset too. And there are certainly like faults with it, but I think there's just so much beauty too, because then you come into like a situation where like this idea of like competition for like resources or um, jobs or, you know, 
a bed in a hospital gets so amplified in a situation like the pandemic that we're in right now. And I think we can like clearly see like, oh, it's not like we're all going to lose if like we have this mindset of um, of like scarcity and fear um, of like the unknown and the other. Yeah, I think there's two great points there. It's, it's funny, um, I actually spoke to this German guy um, that lives in India and, you know, him being from Germany and moving to India and his wife being Indian, he was telling me that he's been learning that there's really two sects of people, right? Some are acting out of abundance and some are acting out of scarcity. And those two different mindsets will lead to two different paths, right? And that makes sense. But isn't it interesting how America is a first world country thus act a little bit upon, you know, more of this mindset of scarcity? And I think that really relates to your second point, which is the fear of the unknown. And it's something that it really is amplified in the States where the unknown is not seen as an additional strength, as an additional angle, but something that um, threatens the dominant class, right? Or the status quo. And I, and I think that's, that's huge because it becomes personal then. Yeah. And even taking a step back from all of this, I always like to make sure I reflect and recognize my privilege too, that mm-hmm. I was born here and, you know, I, I didn't need to worry about this whole, um, or I didn't even need to worry about getting a visa coming out of college or been affected by any international student order that you and many other international students had to go through. So, you know, from that experience and even from that reflection time, I I find it so interesting that none of us as human beings on earth earned or chose to be born in a certain country. Obviously, immigration and all these political issues definitely has more principles. It's not as simple as that, right? Um, We can't, unfortunately, we can't have a, a world, only in a perfect world, we can have countries to just you know, be able to move around and and for for citizens of each country to, you know, move here and work there. Um, Unfortunately, that's not the case. Yeah, the (laughs) EU. But unfortunately, that's not the case on a global scale, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I think above all that, I think, like you said, the fear of the unknown is fear, you know, is something that has so much power that takes out the personal narrative behind the person or that culture mm-hmm. that takes out, hey, none of us chose to be born in the U.S. or none of us chose to be born in Singapore or Mexico or wherever, right? So, mm-hmm. so I think that's that's really interesting, and that's something that we have learned as third culture kids coming to a different country and having different angles and reference point to to really, you know, make a judgment and, and try to understand why a culture is the way it is. So here, I think it's a a perfect segue. Um, I know when we were catching up the other day, I asked you for, you know, the main takeaways from your four years in LA. It's quite a bit of a a stretch, right? Um, And so Mm -hmm. the first thing that we talked about was being neighborly. 
I think that's a great mm-hmm. place and a great segue as we're talking about American culture and the attitudes of accepting international students or even caring for communities around them. Can you take us through why that is your top takeaway and you know what you've learned about communities in LA and how they interact with one another? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I honestly feel like a lot of the impulsive desire to be neighborly kind of goes into, goes all the way back into this sort of like almost existential guilt that I have sometimes about being in a place and consuming its resources. And I think I felt that sometimes in like Shanghai when it was like, oh, I'm here getting this, like living in this like super privileged elite life. And I am, I lived in the city. So I was like somewhat like more, I think like more exposed or less sheltered than maybe other people were. But I think I was still definitely like very, very much like a life that was almost segregated from like mainland Chinese people or just Mm -hmm. the realities of life in China sometimes. And I think I felt that too when I like moved to the States and I was like, I am taking the resources of this like awesome public university and what do I have to show for it? Um, And I think for me, a lot of that kind of made me reflect and think like, okay, what's a way that I can, you know, give back and contribute instead of just consuming And I started volunteer tutoring um, some kids in Crenshaw in my freshman year. I honestly, it was through a campus organization. I just joined it because I wanted to make friends and I knew that tutoring was something I was good at. Um, But I think just growing to get to know and like, build those relationships with these families um, in the South Central area. It's inevitable that you like grow to care for them, that you form like a bond that you realize that they, there's nothing different between me in like Westwood top five most expensive zip code in America and someone who by virtue of like redlining and the freeway um, just doesn't have access to the same level of education, educational opportunities or even job opportunities as um, I do. And yet they live like five or six miles away. And so I think when it comes to being like neighborly, it's realizing like, okay, you're in this space, the city of Los Angeles, and you have an obligation to contribute to it, not just like take away from it. And you also have that obligation to like leave this place better than when you found it. So I think that that hits home. Um, looking back, right, I was living in the bubble and, and now I'm someone who hates living in bubbles. But living in China, I, I didn't even have a a single Chinese friend and I knew that that I'm not the only one too. We kind of just hung out in our international communities and unlike you who lived in the city, I lived in the international community part of Shanghai where all the international schools were. 
um, and all the international folks were living. And so even though, even though that was fun as a global village and it helped really widen my worldview on many things, right? It doesn't feel very connected to the local culture. And I think that goes back to what you're saying about not just being a consumer, to consume and take from the city, but also to get back. Um, and so I think if I were to be able to do that again, I think that's something I really focus on is there's a lot of beauty in, in Chinese culture and seeing the city boom in the nine years that I was there. It's, it's really amazing. I just wish that instead of being an observer from the outside, I would be someone who's tried at least to participate in that, in that space. So reflecting on my time in Shanghai is something that I'll do differently if I had a second round or second chance to get at it again. And completely on the same page with you, uh, being in LA and with everything that's going on. Um, and also America being my passport country, it's really, I think it's, it's important for me to play my role. Um, and so I guess a question for you, um, as I think a lot of TCKs can relate to that, um, being maybe at university in a country that's not their passport where perhaps they can, you know, have direct impact like voting for instance, or having a political say, how would you recommend, um, TCKs to get plugged into their communities as we're definitely people that can adapt people that can plan routes and uproot pretty easily. Um, but how do you recommend them getting involved? I think if people are searching for a way to be part of their community and to contribute to it, it sounds like too simple to be true, but I think it really is to start where you are and to use what you have. I think every community has different needs, whether you know they need someone to help tutor children or maybe to like pick up trash off the side of the road or um, whatever it is. And I think um, every individual also has different strengths. And I do think too, as the TCK population is one of just incredibly like culturally literate and um, open-minded individuals, like one great strength might even just being able to um, connect different groups of people and speak up for people who like may not have like access to other like more privileged groups as well and I think you just got to look for opportunities and like niches where you um, can use your own strengths to the maximum like benefit of the people around you but I definitely like guarantee you like if you took a good look around you will see like all of the like needs that are there and all of the like ways where you can like help step in even for just a little bit um on that note that you brought up about like political things like not being able to vote and all of that stuff I think one way for me as I would say I'm a politically active person who has never had the opportunity to vote in her life um, but one kind of like mechanism I found that works for me is calling representatives and like congress um, persons here in America because you don't even need to be a citizen to do that you don't even need to reside in that congress person's district to be able to call them but 
that's just one way that it's like, okay, I have a voice. I have a pretty good command of English. I have, you know, a cell phone service that lets me make as many calls as I want. Like I can use that um, on behalf of things that like I care about or things that affect my community, like whether or not they affect me. And so that's just one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. I think that's super helpful. Um, and I love the point about the TCK community being one that is cultural literate and to be able to relate and kind of just see people as people um, because we've kind of seen our fair share of the diversity of narratives and stories that we kind of see them as open slate and not prejudge them as what a X person would act or what they'll do or what they value. Um, and I think that um, one thing that comes to mind for me um, that one of my professors talked about when I asked him, what's your greatest takeaway, professor? And he was saying that human beings are destined for greatness. And greatness can come from, you know, curing cancer, right? Something that really solves a big need in, on a global scale. Or just being there, present with your friend who lost a loved one. And I really like that frame of view as a lot of times it's tough, right, for TCKs, especially if you're bouncing around here and there or you have this whole international student ordeal that we just went through that we ultimately realized like, wow, there's so many things out of our control that could actually make me leave this country, a place where I have been investing in like you have. But to truly understand that, you know, being a part of the culture, giving back does not need to be of something that, you know, influence everyone on a, a grand scale. It can just be that person, um, your neighbor, right? Going back to this whole theme of neighborly. I guess I do have a follow-up question here. Um, mm -hmm. As some TCKs move more than others, whether they're still, you know, following their parents or they run to different constrictions, how do you recommend or what, what kind of, what pieces of advice do you have for TCKs that move a lot? when they're thinking, man, if I get invested here, I'm not sure if I can fully see it through. Yeah, that's such a big struggle because it's also just so, it can be so heartbreaking sometimes, like when you get uprooted yet again. Right. But I think um, that's something I've also considered a lot when I think about my time in America and just the uncertainty of, you know, how long I can stay here, how long I want to or hope to stay here. But I think it's knowing, like, what's the, like, alternative, like, kind of coasting along and um, being here, but, like, not really or, like, fully here or being here, but only to um, consume, like, all the resources that, like, a city or a country has to offer without um, doing, like, anything to like help take care of it in return and I know the the hurt that could come from like potentially like having to like deal with that loss of moving constantly is really high but I feel like the benefit that you get just that feeling of like you know being part of a community and contributing to it however long that feeling lasts however like fleeting or impermanent permanent it may be I think it's still like worth the risk that you take to invest in it yeah and I think sometimes that's just life right we're able to just plant the seed but 
we might not see the whole plan grow and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But I think we're just doing our part um, and having a, a positive, positive attitude there that that's just not mm -hmm. just outcome driven, but rather um, being present um, and having that impact um, transcend the full outcome of it. So I think you also did touch upon um, a dynamic of TCKs and that is this fragmented identity um, versus a whole identity compared to someone who, let's mm -hmm. say, is born and raised in LA, went to UC and came back to LA to work, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's something that a lot of TCKs do not have. And uh, it is a struggle in itself, right? And I know you shared that of not understanding or not fully planning it out in your life. Oh, this is how much time I would like to be in LA, but there's so many external factors that are there as well. And so that being a big question mark for TCKs outside of their passport country, how do you keep yourself at ease? How do you find peace mm -hmm. in all the moving pieces? Yeah. I think the big thing, like the most important big thing is mental. Um, it's reminding myself that like, okay, even if I'm like, I do this role in Singapore where I'm the youngest of like all the children and all the grandchildren and um, I am like this kind of outsider role there or compared to that whatever sort of hat that I put on in like China where I um, am this like, privileged foreigner then i come here to america where i'm just like not very privileged foreigner um all of those identities i need to remind myself are like true at the same time they can all coexist and they're all a part of me and no some might be more pronounced when i'm in a certain like country or city compared to other parts but that doesn't make any of the other parts like any less true so i think just reminding myself of that is kind of a talk or a battle that I need to have like sometimes every day you know mm -hmm. um yeah just the fact that all of these parts of me are valid um and I think being able to hold all those fragments together is such a hard thing to do and I think my way of holding it um, has just been in like certain like disciplines that I like practice, um, whether it just be like, you know, going for a walk or a hike or like just being physically like, you know, in nature, I think helps me stay present to like whatever moment that I'm in. And, um, like reminds me like, oh, hey, like this is the air that I'm breathing. It's like kind of smoggy air in LA, but like, like I'm here and I can be like whole here. And so there is that, which I think is kind of like restorative in some sense. And I think another way for me to like deal with fragmentation, me personally has been more like creative or imaginative. And for me that happens a lot in terms of like writing and whether it's like fiction or nonfiction, that's just always been a way that I've been able to like make sense of this idea of like, you know, cultural or like spiritual fragmentation. Um, and yeah, so those are the things that work for me. But I think different people have different like, yeah, like 
ways to cope, but I think it's whatever just like makes you feel like whole and like, you know, connected to yourself and to your like physical body and to just the place that you're in. Yeah. No, I think those are two great common threads that we can all apply in a different way. The first being, um, understanding that it's okay to be different. Like you said, Mm -hmm. understanding that it's okay to be fragmented without having one dominant culture like the rest. And I think a lot of times, you know, I fell into this, you know, going back to America as a place of assimilation. I fell into that when I first came back to LA for college where I just wanted to be an average Joe, but I couldn't slip by, uh, especially with my birthplace being in LA and having a good portion of people at Pepperdine where I went to school be from LA. And when I say, oh, you know, I was born in Torrance, so ask me which high school I went to. And I'm like, dang, they're going to get me. And I got to go <laughs> explain this whole thing that I was born here. I grew up in Singapore and Shanghai and then mm-hmm. you get othered again. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only till I studied abroad in Germany where I really saw that, wait, this is a strength and this is something I shouldn't negate. I should be proud of it. So I think that goes back to this fragmented uh, aspect where, yeah, we can adapt, we can code switch, we can relate to different people. And that in itself, the difference is the strength that we don't need to be, you know, choose a black and white answer. So I think that's a, a great point there. And I think for a lot of TCKs out there, a lot of times we don't hear that affirmation that's okay to be different. A lot of times we feel that, oh, we're weird, we're the odd one out, we're a freak. So to all the third culture kid out there that's still figuring it out, you're unique and that's for a purpose. And I think it's through that, that affirmation, that self-talk or even from good friends or family to say, hey, you have a purpose and your identity is not by mistake. And through that, I think human beings were able to perform and really tap into what you're saying, right? The outlet, right? For, for me to say, I have a purpose and identity in this time in LA, even though if I don't know how long I'm going to be here the small or big stuff, right? But I'm able to recognize that, validate myself, and through that, understanding my outlet. Like you said, whether it's yours of going into nature or writing or getting those creative juices flowing, right? That outlet is key. So I think to that's a great encouragement point to TCKs out there um, to know that they're seen, to know that they're not... Um, weird or the odd one out but through that is this really strength through that difference and that compilation of cultures to in to influence whatever they touch whatever passions they have perfect so last final thought always like to end the podcast of a takeaway um a good nugget for people listening i think you being an international student um and having navigate this crazy time um of just back-to-back roller coaster rides, honestly. <laughs> what advice would you give, you know, someone who is, I guess it doesn't need to be specific to come into the U.S., but I guess that's your reference point. What advice would you give to someone who is going back to their passport country for, for college? I would say people are going to try to tell you otherwise, but we always have more in common than we do have like differences and people will try to focus on those differences and you know 
if not stigmatize you, at least like kind of just like make sure you know that they're other. But I think your gift is your ability to see connection and to see similarity and to use that to like enlarge your empathy um, and to build like, um, yeah, like common ground in those relationships. And I would tell them to hold on to those um, similarities over all the rhetoric on differences. Perfect. Thanks so much, Dama, for that takeaway. Mm -hmm. I think my takeaway from this call is to truly listen. That is really not too hard to understand the needs of the community. And it's easy, whether it's work or, um, you know, finding or applying to grad school um, to take away from the immediate community needs just outside your house, but to take time to be present, to take time to realize that hey, this is how much this city has given me, I want to get back to. So appreciate that. I think that's a very encouraging note. And I know it's a constant reminder that we all have to give ourselves, especially in this world where the pace is quick. So thanks, Jemma. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for your input. And, yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, we really wish you well as you continue um, this transition into grad school and continue to um, pour out to the communities of LA. Hold up. Wait a minute. Don't leave just yet. I hope you enjoyed the episode, but have two final things. First, thank you so much for being a part of this journey with The Third Space. I appreciate you. Number two, this podcast is only the start of the conversation. Have any thoughts or takeaways? I want to hear from you. So engage with us on Facebook and Instagram at third.culturespace. I hope to see you there and stay tuned for the next episode. Peace.